0: Ten Commandments were given 1,400 years before the coming of Christ. Ten Commandments are to point us to Christ. We've talked about that. But the thing to see, if you're visiting, is what we believe at Redeemer and we believe what the Bible teaches is that the Christianity is, is not a set of rules that you try to figure out. It is historical. It is, it is God convincing us of who we really are to our cords that we can't admit to ourselves. And then he points us to Jesus Christ to fling ourselves upon him. Not just kind of go, yes, I get it. But I mean to fling yourself upon him. Now, if you're visiting, we're already in Romans 7. Let me tell you the context of Romans 7. Paul is saying uh, the gospel uh, is through Jesus Christ. And, And so those who've been for years been trying to keep the Ten Commandments, those who for thousands of years have looked to the law of God, the question is, what about the law? What is its purpose? What about the law for you this morning? So I want you to to turn with me to Romans 7. And um, it's here printed in your bulletin. We print the Word of God every week uh, so that you might read it and follow along. So uh, let's uh, read God's Word together. What shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. And the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me, and through it killed me. So, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. This is God's word. Let's, let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit. Help us understand this important text. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word, and we pray that you would open up your word now. We cannot, we cannot hear apart from your spirit, nor can we speak the words of the gospel in any meaningful way apart from the assistance of your Holy Spirit. So would you help us both this morning? Father, I pray for those who do not know Christ, uh, that the law would crush them, point them to the beauty of Christ bleeding for us. And Father, for many of us who are professors of the faith, and yet the law has not done its work, we still think it's a manageable burden. Lord, would you break that illusion this morning? so that men and women and boys and girls this morning might flee to Christ. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Uh, I like Christmas music. I love Christmas carols. I like uh, the Christmas music, the chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Get me in the mood for Christmas. And uh, one of the reasons we do uh, uh, lessons and carols every year is because I I love Christmas. I think it's a great opportunity um, to minister the gospel at that time. Uh, but there is uh, one, uh, one uh, Christmas song that always gave me the creeps. Uh, you'd, be, you'd be in the car with your parents and you'd be listening to uh, the different uh, songs uh, of Christmas. And then, then there would come uh, this, uh, this song that would mess with my holidays. And, uh, and it's probably uh, disturbed every boy and girl who's halfway thinking since the song debuted probably 45 years ago. You probably know what song I'm talking about. Uh, it is one that's been uh, immortalized by the Jackson Five. It's called Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Now, let me read what, what uh, this the lyrics here. Y'all know them, don't you? You better watch out. You better uh, not cry. better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus... <laughs> It's coming to town. And he's making a list. And he's checking it twice. We're going to find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. <laughs> he knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good. For goodness sake. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Mess up my holiday. <laughs> uh, what, what a far different hymn. Oh come, oh come, Emmanuel. And ransom captive Israel. You see... Um, any thinking kid that's thinking about this song and what it really means is a nightmare. Of course, Santa's good. And down deep, I know I, I, I'm probably not good. Uh, and he's, he's apparently checking a list of transgressions. And not only that, but he's checking that list twice. Twice. And, and then you go, well, have, have I really been good or not? I, I know sometimes I'm naughty, but I'm not that naughty. And I know sometimes I can be nice. I think for the most uh, part uh, I'm nice. And then, of course, over the years, you can, the song no longer convicts you the way we don't get convicted anymore. You know why? Because you always get the presents. And you figure, well, okay, I guess I'm not that bad. I'm Okay. But you know, it really is a funny place to be, is it not? The law of Santa Claus about being naughty or nice. Well, let me tell you that the law of God is not so unclear. The law of God—it was just printed out for us that we read together, uh, or as John read uh, this this morning. And and far be it that it talks about being naughty or nice. It is basically declaring to us that we are to be, according to the words of Jesus Christ, who does not lie, perfect. It's not only a concern about whether you're keeping the law or not keeping the law, whether you're kind of being good or not good or being nice or not nice. The demand of the law of God is absolute perfection. In fact, it is the only thing that really makes sense of the world that there is a God and that God is good and He is just. And He has revealed Himself in the law. And then He has revealed Himself through the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, who came to tell us, you can't do the law. Now, when I was a campus minister in Mississippi, one of the things that was interesting to me... Is, is I would sit down and talk to church people, college students. And I would be probing a little bit about where they were spiritually. And I, I would ask them those great questions. There's two great questions to ask. Uh, if you were to, if, 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 do you know you have eternal life? And I'd ask you that this morning. Do you know without a doubt you have eternal life? Because it makes sense that if God gives it, you'd know it, right? If he gives it, it's what 1 John 5 says. I write these things that you might know that you have eternal life. And uh, so people go, well, I, you know, I'm not sure, I'm not 100%. I, I think maybe I am, so I'd ask them the second question. Well, if you were to die tonight, and you were to stand before God, and God were to say to you, and even you this morning, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? And invariably, people would start using the pronoun I, and not the pronoun He. Well, you know, I've tried to be a good person. I haven't been too naughty, and I know I'm not as nice as I should be, but I think for the most part. And of course, the thing that I like to point out to people like that is, you know, you really can never know whether you have eternal life because the gospel has nothing to do with that pronoun. It has everything to do with the pronoun he and what he has done and what he has accomplished. And until we cast ourselves upon an understanding that the law is to drive us to Christ, then there's never joy. There is no fun at Christmas. You're always kind of wondering where you're standing. And so, you know, first I would ask you people who are here today, maybe you're visiting, and you're not really sure where you are. You're not sure what you believe. You don't even know if you believe in the law of God. My question to you would be, well, what about your future? And I'm not talking about your retirement. That's going to be gone, you know, what what is 15, 20 years in light of all of eternity? And so what Paul has been trying to hammer home in the book of Romans, the Christian apologetic, is that the purpose of the law is to point us to the only Savior and to find absolute joy in Him and what He has done so that there's absolutely no boasting. That is what Romans 3 is about. He's summarizing and saying that there's no one righteous. No, No, there's not one. And then he says this, But now there is a righteousness of God that has been made known to which the law and the prophets tell us about. The law and the prophets tell us about not your righteousness, but His righteousness. And he says this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, because there is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all ascend and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace. Freely. And then it says, He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at this present time so as He might be both just. And the justifier of them that believe. And I'm gonna tell you, that's the only, that's why Christianity is the only religion that makes sense. Because God remains both good and He remains both just, because He's able to be merciful to us in Jesus Christ. And so He goes on to say, where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because what? The law? Because of what? Law? the law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the law. Now now listen, friends. Here's what you got to understand is that to this point, everything that Paul has been saying from Romans chapter 1 all the way up to Romans chapter 7 about the law on the surface, is, is negative. The law's excluded. Uh, the, the law can't save you. Last week we looked in Romans chapter 5. I mean Romans chapter 7 verse 5 where he says, For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore the fruit of death. But now... By dying to what once bound us, the law, we have been released from the law so that we serve in a new way, the way of the Spirit. In other words, Paul is even saying there, listen, and if you're married to the law, you can't be married to Christ. So it seems as though he's opposing the very law itself. And so here's what we've learned for the last six months is the law can't justify you. It cannot. You cannot justify yourselves, my friends. I, 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 and as a pastor, I just sometimes I, I I stay awake wondering how how much we understand that because we're not sometimes telling people about what Christ has done. It cannot justify you. Christ alone justifies. He is to be shared. He is to be testified to. The way the law and the prophets. Certainly, people who have Christ in them. People who are born again of the Holy Spirit who've discovered existentially that the law can't save me. But friends, not only that, we are learning that the law cannot change you. And I think many of you as Christians, you fall into, yes, Jesus died for me, and I believe the law is good, and you put yourself right back under the law, and there's no joy. And so you're trying to keep the law by discipleship. And, and by effort. But it has no net effect ch- change in your life. And so the question then before us today is, and to them at that point, then what is the, the point of the law? If we're now married to Christ and we're his bondservant, if the law cannot save or bring life, then what is the purpose of the law? Does that make sense? That that's, what, that's an important question today. And whether you understand it's an important question, trust me it is because it's in the scriptures. And you and I, Christian and non-Christian, believe it or not, in different ways, but will be judged according to how we respond to the law of God. And so it's very important we understand how it operates in our lives. John Stott said this, all this has been strong meat in language, what Paul has been saying for the last seven chapters. The law is characterized as actually barring us from marriage to Christ, arousing sin, causing death, and impeding life in the spirit so that the sooner we gain freedom from it, the better. And therefore, the question is, well, what's going on here? Well, here's, here's what I want us to see this morning, okay? And I, I want you to grasp this. Dear Jesus, help people understand this. Help people that maybe... Known Jesus for a long time understand this. And that is this until the law does its work, the law which is good, you will never, 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 never know the joy of resting in Christ. It must do its work to the point to where it so flings us to Jesus that he becomes more real than anything in our lives. So how are we going to see that this morning? Well, I'm, I'm barring from an outline that I saw three different commentators use the same one. So I thought, well, it's kind of hard to improve on some of these guys. And, but they're all here in the text. And so, so here, what is the purpose of the law? Three things. When we've talked about one, it reveals sin. And then, it's supposed to provoke sin. Now that one I'm not sure if we get And then once it provokes sin and sin comes alive, then it's supposed to condemn sin. So the first thing to see is that the law uh, reveals sin. Paul says in verse 7 that I would not have known sin apart from the law. Certainly not. Indeed, I would not not have known what sin was except through the law, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, Thou shalt not covet. I would not have known it. It's there. That's what I'm doing. And it lay dormant until the law of God comes and it says, You can't do that. Now here's what we need to understand. That human beings, we as people... Are, we're much more significant than whether we're naughty or nice. And, and that's where probably many of you spend most of your time, you're comparing yourself to other people. Well, you know, okay, I'm not, I'm not as nice as so-and-so, but I'm nicer than so-and-so. And, and I'm not as, uh, maybe I'm not as faithful about church attendance or I'm faithful about whatever you, standard you put, but I'm not as bad as that person. Now, let me tell you, it's much more significant than that. You and I are created in the image of God. You're not an animal. And and what does that mean? Well, that means this: that w- whether you're Christian or not a Christian, you're all creating. We're all creating God's image, and we can be faithful, can't we? You ever had a faithful friend? Uh, we can be to a degree, and we can be wise. And uh, we can be prudent or whatever the other terms that are there. But, but that just means that we're reflecting who He is. But the difference between us and God is it is His nature to be that way. He, he cannot not be faithful. If He makes a promise to you through Jesus Christ, He, he will keep that promise not because He has to. But that's, that's His nature. And if you, we can be merciful. We can also be unmerciful. He is always merciful, not because he has to be, but because he wants to be, because that is his nature. Now, the reason I tell you this is it's hard to convince people because they are creating the image of God. Sometimes we often look to the surface. And we think, well, you know, I'm a pretty decent person. Well, if you are a decent person, it's what theologians call the difference between uh, saving grace and common grace. Common grace is what everybody has in here, whether you're a Christian or not. And what common grace says is this, it is God's grace that you're not as bad as you can be. And and by the way, do you ever get a sense of it? Do you ever get a hint of it every now and then when you really get mad? And all of a sudden what's really down deep comes out. Uh, one of the reasons I think we should be involved with downtown ministries. Get involved with in the lives of other children. Or, or get involved and go overseas. Or go to Dorchester and Dan run, run, run um, uh, a trip for us. I read your that last letter and, and, and the, the gentleman that was killed last year. Y'all had a candlelight service. Killed in the neighborhood. Got shot. Because when you go into these situations, you start asking yourself, well then what would I be like if I had this situation? We took one little boy home not long ago uh, into a neighborhood and he he was an older boy, fifteen years old or so, and he said, Would you Mary Beth and I took him home, he said, Would y'all please wait right here and make sure I get into the house safely? And I wonder, how does he process? But you see, common grace just says you're not as bad as you could be. Now let me tell you, this is why it's hard to convince many of you not to get off the dime and flee to Christ because the law has not done its work. Let me give you a a forensic on that. In Genesis chapter 6, we think of the tsunami that hit Japan. Do you understand that the Bible teaches, whether you want to believe this or not, the Bible teaches that... The flood destroyed everybody but eight people. And the reason it says that is because what predicated the flood was according to Genesis chapter 6. It says that the intentions of the heart of man were only evil all the time. And so the purpose of the law is to begin to reveal to us that. Do you understand that? Yeah, I mean, until you get to the point where the law like, hey, look, you can't do that. And if you ever say, well, I'm not that bad. Oh, yes, you are. <laughs> That's what Dan was saying. You know, uh, the adultery with the, with the church, right? Well, how about adultery with lust according to Jesus? Or if the Bible, Jesus says, if you hate, you kill. Because he's the lawgiver who says, it's not about whether you kill or not. It's about the intent of your heart and where your heart is. And so if you've been a Christian for a while and now the law is not really driving you to Christ, but you begin to harden your heart against the law of God and the sermons every Sunday, then friends, watch out because the law is not leading you to the comfort that's found in Christ. The second thing to see is this. Not only does it reveal sin, but it provokes sin. This is very interesting. The purpose of the law is actually to take that which is lying dormant and it's, it's to sweep uh, like the dust on a the floor. The, the law is the broom and it begins to sweep. And the dust is supposed to come off the floor to begin to choke you. And so those who are doing more and doing the best they can, they're trying to perfect things and end up with OCD or eating disorders or these hobbies that make you get off the diversion of, of what's really going on in your life. And so you're sweeping and you're sweeping and it begins to kill you. Your eating disorders kill you and your obsessive compulsive things, your pathologies and your, your psychosis It is because the law is not doing its work. You're denying the reality and you're just trying harder and harder. And the the very thing you're trying to do is choking you. It's killing you. It's why you're frustrated with your work and your wife and your children and your husband. It's why you're frustrated. It is because the law has still not done its work. You think you're doing a good job. But really, in reality, you're killing everybody else with you. Notice what he says. Very interesting verse. Look here in verse 8. Look at the text. Look in the bulletin at the text. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. But once I, once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. And I found the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually does what? Brings death. And again, if you, I'm going to tell you, if you're just overwhelmed right now with guilt and all this stuff, and there's no joy in your life, and I'm not going to say there aren't times that God removes himself and allows you to be there. But for the most part, often it's because, because the purpose of the law is to actually provoke sin so that you might go to, to him who is life. You know, Paul Paul was, before he met Jesus, he was a Pharisee. Philippians chapter 3 says that according to all the rules and the regulations, I was perfect. Before the law came, I was fine. And then the law came and I died. It it slayed me. And that which was to bring life brought death in my life. And which commandment did he point to? The one you don't see. Coveting. Success, Dan. I've struggled with that one, and and we're all covetors, you see. And so Paul, uh, Paul came to face to face with the fact that there's a dark place in his heart. Let me give you an illustration here. Do you know a lot of people think, and I don't. This is just speculation. You know the rich young know story, of the rich, rich young ruler, right? Rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus and he says, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Like, what, what's in it for me? <laughs> and of course, Jesus says, well, you know, if you kept the, kept, kept the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false witness, honor your father and mother. And he says, all these I've kept. Okay, looking at the external, well, I hadn't, I hadn't slept with another woman, so I'm good there. I haven't murdered anybody, I'm good there. And so Jesus, because he loves him, he gets to the heart of the issue and he says, well, I'll tell you what, one last thing, Mm," comes commandment number 10. Just give everything everything away that you have and then come follow me. And then it says uh, that the man went away sad. said he became very sad because he was very wealthy. And Jesus looked at him, he looked at him And he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And so his disciples said, well, then who can be saved? Because he's hitting right there on that covetousness. And he says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. You know, because you can't change your heart. And the law can only provoke the sin that's there. Some people think that this was the Apostle Paul. Now, it's, nobody knows, but wouldn't that be cool if it was? Here, here he is, the Apostle Paul. He's a rich young ruler. And maybe it was that confrontation that began the process of the law coming, and when it came alive fully, he died. And before that, he's dead to it. Now, friends, how many of y'all were dead to the law? And, and life's good, everything's fine. Or has the law come alive to you in such a way that you are absolutely driven to Jesus Christ? You know what I think a sign of that is? You start loving other people. You start caring about other people. You're not always going, well, how am I doing? I am wonder if I'm doing okay. Did I have a quiet time? Did I share my faith? Did I go to church? And all that. No, it just, it's a completely different radical way of looking at life because you are fixated upon the work and person of Christ. The law does its work when it provokes sin in you to where you go, God have mercy upon me, a sinner. You understand that? Twas grace that taught my heart to fear 'Twas grace my fears relieved. There is no grace. There is no Calvary without Mount Sinai. And then one last thing: we'll come to the Lord's Supper. It, it reveals sin. It provokes sin. And then the last thing to see very clearly is that the commandment condemns sin. And until you know you're condemned, you're not coming to Christ. Right? It lies dormant. It's sitting there. Well, notice what he says in verse 9 through 11. Once I was alive apart from the law, when the commandment came, it sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life brought death for sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. The the purpose of the commandment is to condemn us. But you don't get, until you know you're condemned, then you'll never ever know what mercy is. You'll never know the work of Christ uh, on your behalf. You know, I read an article uh, this, uh, this week in, in, uh, in, in the Athens Banner Herald. And I'm and I not going to name the church, uh, but it's a growing church. But there was one thing that was said that really puzzled me and basically concerned me if this is what they believe. This person said that our church is to tell everybody that God is not angry with them, that He loves them. And they got half of that right because the scripture says that God is angry with the wicked every day. And when He's not angry like, you know... Me, when I get mad at my kids and yell at them. His wrath is so predictable. His anger is because he is just and he is good and he is holy and he is righteous. He has to be bothered by lawbreaking the same way we are. Right? Because it bothers us when Santa Claus brings something to a person who has stolen from someone. Because you see, that's not fair. So God has to be angry with sin. In fact, god and this is, I know it's hard times, but people must understand that God is just as delighted in his justice forever, a place called hell. Just as delighted because of his attributes as he is in his mercy and his love to those who come to him in faith uh, and repentance. So in conclusion, the law can't save you. It can't save you. And number two, the purpose of the law is to kill you. Okay, so you, you get, you're tired of trying to be good? Well, I would love for the law to come and absolutely crush you. Because you see, Jesus Christ was crushed by the law on our behalf. And unlike Santa Claus who comes down the chimney and he gives uh, toys to all the girls and boys who deserve uh, coal and switches, he takes upon himself our own sin, our own law breaking. And, and, in, and in him, the wrath of God and the love of God, the goodness of God in both his justice and his mercy meet. now, Here's the question uh, as we come to the Lord's table. Have you cast yourself upon the mercy of Christ? Or will you remain in your own sin? And will you be kind of like me as a kid going, well, I wonder, I wonder if I've been naughty or nice. Man, I'm, I'm kind of rolling the dice on this one. You see, not only do you have a dilemma, if you think that way, but for God to save any of us, He has a dilemma. And that dilemma is met in the person of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that the law is good, but we're not. And it reveals to us our great need for Jesus. Father, I pray for any who are here this morning who have never been born again, who have never truly looked to Christ in faith, but only in knowledge, that your law would hammer them down and crush them, and that it would come alive so that they might die. And in their death, they look to Christ and find life in him. Oh, Father, I know their needs are here today. I know that many people are thinking that if their finances were better, if their marriage was better, if they were smarter, if they were taller, if they were skinnier, then life would be good. Lord, teach them that that's covetousness. And teach them to look to you and rest in Christ and embrace him. And we ask these things in your name and for your sake. Amen. Those serving communion would come forward.